disciples, maybe, um, but not for most of you. Um, but nonetheless, that's, that's kind of an example of how culture works. So why am I, I talking so much about culture? Uh, well, the reason is because, uh, yeah, we may share um, different things as being, oh, we're all part of Americans, so we have that culture, or we're all on a university campus, so we kind of share a culture there. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit this morning about the, the culture that we share as Christians. You see, as Christians, we uh, have a shared set of beliefs that should impact the way that we live as well. And uh, when I talk about Christian culture, I'm not talking about uh, wearing like cheesy t-shirts or uh, making sure you go to all the Christian rock festivals or things like that. That's, that's not really uh, what I'm getting into here. Uh, but, but I'm talking about something deeper, uh, the, the things that, that motivate you on the deepest level and, and the things that impact the decisions that you make each and every day. So our citizenship first, if we are Christians, is in heaven. Before the citizenship of any other country, most of you guys are American citizens, some of you guys are citizens of other places, all that stuff is secondary if you are a Christian to your citizenship in heaven. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He said this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body." So you see what Paul's saying here, as he's saying that, man, we are fundamentally different from the rest of the world because we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of, of a, a place that, that no one else is if they're outside of Christ. And, and so because of that, our mindset is different. Did you notice what he said? Their mind is set on earthly things. And that's one of the big differences about someone whose citizenship is in heaven is that their mind is no longer set on earthly things, but it's set on the kingdom of God. So we're going to dive into a lot more of really what that looks like. What, what does it look like to live a life uh, where your mind is set on the kingdom of God? What does it look like to walk out as, as a citizen of heaven? And I think that as we go through this, you're going to enjoy learning about this, but you're also going to be challenged. I know I'm challenged as I look to teach through this kind of stuff. Uh, because, man, Jesus has a lot to say about life in the kingdom of God. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful kingdom, but, man, it's it's so different uh, from the way that we think naturally. It's so different from the world that we live in. And so the sermon series we're going to be doing this semester is called the Upside Down Kingdom for that very reason. Uh, we have kingdoms that we're used to uh, that, that run a certain way, right? Where um, you're successful, you know, what you're going after is success in business or uh, money, fame, different kinds of things like that. And, and some of the teachings we're going to see of Jesus just flip these ideas upside down our head. And so that, that's why I call this um, the upside down kingdom. God's kingdom is uh, described throughout a lot of the scriptures. Um, the main place that we're going to be looking at it, though, is the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Uh, we're only going to get through the verse 12 verses. Um, but this is probably going to be some stuff as we're going through this this semester that you're relatively familiar with. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is full of a lot of teaching that, that people from many religions love, like the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Guess what? Jesus said that. 
Um, people love it. Uh, there's, there's also uh, the whole don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. That's how you guys feel when you're studying for your exam the next day, right? Um, no, that, that, so that comes from the Sermon on the Mount as well. You're going to see a lot of uh, that kind of stuff in there. So I'm excited to get into this with you. If you would pray with me, uh, we'll dive into the text we have for this morning. Uh, Father, we love you so much. We thank you for being a good God. Uh, we just love to worship you. Um, God, we did that with our voices earlier. We pray that we would do that with our minds now. Um, God, give us the, the power to engage with your word. Uh, help us to focus on what you had to say to us this morning. Uh, Lord, give us the ability to understand your word. Uh, God, give us the ability to uh, just, just take it in, to, to breathe it in, God, to, to chew it up uh, and just to digest it, Lord. And we, we pray that um, it, it would make a difference in our lives, Lord. Uh, that, that we wouldn't just be entertained this morning, that we wouldn't just say, oh, great, I did a good thing, I went to church. Um, but, Lord, that the words uh, that, that are preached here this morning, especially the ones straight from your scripture, Lord, that, um, that those would be something that change us. Lord, help us to be people uh, that, that have a, a, a mindset that's set on your kingdom. Help us to live as citizens of this upside-down kingdom. We love you, God, and it's in your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, so I want to give you a little bit of context for uh, what we're going to get into here in Matthew chapter 5. If you, uh, this, Matthew records this pretty early in his gospel, and uh, what, what he was writing about right before this was basically saying, hey, Jesus has just started his ministry. Uh, he came out of, the, of being tempted in the desert by Satan, and says after he comes out and do, does that, he starts going around, and he has this message he preaches. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's going around, and, and as he's doing that, he's healing a bunch of people as well. Uh, Matthew specifically says this in 4, 23 through 25. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those who were suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Uh, so Jesus got this massive following, which is not surprising, right? I mean, uh, if there was a guy going around healing people that were paralyzed or demon-possessed or anything like that, I would want to hang out with that guy too. Um, so he's got crowds uh, that are coming from all over these places. And so uh, one of the things that, that Matthew draws attention to is that not only is he doing all of this healing, but it says that he's preaching uh, the, the gospel of the kingdom. I love that phrase in there, uh, verse 23, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he's doing as he's healing all these kind of diseases. So what exactly does that mean uh, when, when we see that Jesus is proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom? Well, without getting into this uh, too deeply, really what I want uh, to draw your attention to is that this refers to a kingdom that the Jews uh, were expecting God to usher in at some point, okay? Uh, they had the, the prophets, especially in Isaiah, you can see a lot of this kind of stuff, uh, where they knew that there was a, a day that was coming that was going to be much better than the day that they were living in now, okay? They may not have known exactly what this world was going to look like, uh, but there were a lot of promises that God uh, was going to make everything so much better, and they were waiting on this, this kingdom of God to be ushered in, and they've been waiting hundreds of years for this. And so Jesus goes around proclaiming this gospel, right? Uh, this is a little bit of a snapshot of what they were thinking about. I just drew this out of Isaiah. Um, you can find all sorts of stuff like this throughout that book. Uh, this is near the end of it. It says, 
But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. So there's this beautiful place that the Jews have in mind that, okay, yeah, God's going to bring in this kingdom at some point. We really don't know how. And now this guy, Jesus, shows up on the scene and he says, hey, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, guess what else he's doing? Uh, healing like a ton of people, right? So now the, the walk is, is backing up the talk, right? It's one thing for a guy to show up on the scene and say, hey, this kingdom is coming in. That's going to be so much better, right? Like sickness is going to be gone. The, the weeping and crying is going to be gone. It's one thing to say that, but to say that and then go and see, oh my goodness, he's actually restoring the, the brokenness of this world, like he, the, the, the marks of what I see of this kingdom are passing away, the sickness and all this kind of stuff. And, and oh my goodness, it it's actually looks like we're turning towards what he's talking about. So it would add some excitement here. You're thinking, man, this guy might actually be legit and what he's saying. So they're, they are anticipating this and they're following him around with this idea of there's literally, there's a new world order that's going to be ushered in. What is this new kingdom of God going to look like and how should I live within it? And so Jesus takes the opportunity that he has with this crowd, and he starts teaching them a bunch about what life in the kingdom should look like. And so that's what we're going to get into with the Sermon on the Mount. So here we go with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so you guys have likely heard that before. You've probably heard it called the Beatitudes. Uh, the reason they're called that comes from that, all those statements start with blessed, blessed, blessed. With the Latin root, it has to do with Beatitudes. That's why we call them that. Um, but anyway, you'll, you'll notice a lot of the teaching that Jesus said there, some of it is like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? Like, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, that makes sense. Uh, but there's some other stuff he says that's like, what? Like, blessed are, the, are you when you're, like, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness? Like, wouldn't those be the very people that we think are cursed? Like, they did the right thing and they still are getting persecuted? Like, that's the last person we would generally call blessed, right? Um, or, or just different things about, like, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Like, when has poor ever been something that someone has looked at as being blessed? So, so this is getting at some of the idea of the upside-down kingdom that I was talking about, where Jesus is starting to flip some ideas on their head. And so while people like this idea that there's, that there's going to be this amazing kingdom, um, I, I think that as they're hearing this teaching, there would be some resistance to it. Like, wait a second, I don't want to be, like, poor in spirit, or I don't want to be persecuted. It's like, it's kind of like a chicken McNugget, right? Like you like the chicken McNugget, but you don't like all the components that go into it. So you just like forget about that and just eat the thing. I think that's, that's what we got going on. You say, oh, I kind of like this idea of the kingdom of God, but I don't, I don't know if I like all this 
other stuff about how I would actually have to like live with that. Um, yeah, so, so just to see how really different this is, I kind of put a side-by-side comparison slide. You can pull that up. Um, the right side up kingdom, that would kind of be how we live in this world. This is, the, this is what we're used to, right? Uh, the people that are blessed are those that are rich, those that have it all. They have power. Uh, they're, they're filled. They win all the time. They're comfortable, and they're well-liked. And, and just pulling from the Beatitudes, look at some of these people that Jesus says are blessed. Those that are poor in spirit, those that mourn. Does anybody here like to mourn? Um, th- those that are, are meek, or uh, my Bible translated it gentle, uh, those that are hungry, okay, hunger and thirst for righteousness, those that show mercies, and of course those that are persecuted and ostracized. Um, very, very different. There's a biblical scholar named Michael Wilcock that had a great quote about uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, In the life of God's people, it will be seen a remarkable reversal of values. The people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. So this is such a different way of thinking. I want to take some time um, to just kind of go through each of these statements that Jesus made and be like, wait, well, if Jesus says that this is blessed, but naturally we don't view it that way, how is it that he could be saying this? So let's look at this. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their reward is the kingdom of heaven. This is the thing that people have been waiting for, right? This is, this is the thing that they're excited about. And notice that a ticket to this can only be bought through poverty, right? Like, that, that's kind of strange. We, we're used to being able to get entrance into things through, through riches. Uh, but, but here Jesus says, no, you have to be poor in spirit um, to inherit the, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, what is he getting at when he says poor in spirit? Well, I think that what Jesus is getting at here is the only people that, that, are, that can enter into the kingdom of heaven are people that understand their spiritual brokenness. Um, how can you enter into this place if you do not realize that, that you are beneath God, that you've sinned against him, and that, that you need to be humbled before him? You see, as Christians, we believe this thing called the gospel, which is uh, the fact that we are sinners, that we're separated from God, and that there's nothing that we could do on our own to fix that situation. But God in his love decided to remedy it. And so he sent Jesus Christ, walked the earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins. And that the punishment that we deserve for our sins was put on him. And the perfect and righteous life that he lived was credited to us. And that our only hope of being reconnected to God is to call out and say, God, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. Please forgive me. I put my faith in the blood of Christ for my forgiveness. That is a person that is poor in spirit. You realize that you have nothing in and of yourself to offer before God. Do you know that you cannot impress God? Like, you, you, can't, you can't bring him anything that he hasn't seen. You can't do anything that he can't do. You can't give him something that he doesn't already have. Like, he's almighty. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But yet he still wants you, which is amazing, right? He still wants us. It's it's incredible. But we need to be people that are poor in spirit to come before him and just realize our brokenness. Because you can't really repent. You can't really accept the gospel until you realize that you have nothing to offer and that your only hope rests on the sacrifice of Jesus. So it makes sense that these are the people uh, that their reward is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that uh, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Mourning. I hate mourning. I am a very happy person. I like to celebrate. I like to laugh. Um, have a good time. I was just at a wedding yesterday. Uh, you know, I, I, that's, that's more my thing. I like those more than funerals. I want to celebrate and have a good time. Um, but, but Jesus says, man, blessed are those that, are, that mourn. And I, I think that this relates a lot to the idea of uh, being um, poor in, in your spirit. It's this idea that we realize we're broken. We're, we mourn over our sin. We, we mourn over our sin individually. And also we mourn over our sin collectively. Knowing that we live in a world that's cursed, right? Uh, we, we mourn over the fact that this world is not as it should be. That we live in a place that does not honor God. And, and honestly, that we're guilty of that too. Right? That the brokenness of this world that we look at and all of us hate, right? I talk to people all the time, believers and non-believers, that wonder, why is it that this world is so messed up? Why does God allow that to go on? And I think that in asking that question, we forget that we're contributors to that. And man, those who mourn, like, we realize that and we're broken over that. But the awesome thing is that God says they will be comforted. How are we going to be comforted? Well, one day that brokenness is going to be gone. God's going to restore this creation. One day, we're not going to be trapped in bodies of sin anymore. How awesome is that going to be? We have an amazing thing to look forward to. And the cool thing is for the Christian, our joy is not built upon our circumstances anymore. Right? Because even though we mourn, we're still able to have joy. Right? The Bible has a lot to speak about joy. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. There's a lot of rejoicing that's encouraged and that goes on in the Bible. So it's not like Jesus just wants us to like walk around like depressed monks all the time. That's not, that's not what he's going after here. Uh, but there's still, we're able to simultaneously mourn over our sin and the brokenness of our world, but at the same time rejoice over our salvation in Christ and knowing that God is going to make things right. Man, what other way is there to live that can give you joy that's not based on your circumstances? You know, if your value is in something else, is in your house or your spouse or, you know, whatever else, um, you can lose those things, right? There's no guarantee of any of that. The, the person who's storing up their treasures in heaven, they cannot be lost. And we're able to have joy over that. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, most of you uh, may have a translation that says meek. It's, it's the same idea that's getting over here. It's this idea of people that are humble, uh, people that, that are gentle. It's still a lot of these same themes over the first three Beatitudes. Of um, Man, man the, the meek people, once again, they, they realize that they're not trying to assert their will over another. They're, they're not trying to basically hold on to this world with two hands, right? Isn't it interesting that they're the people that inherit the earth, the meek, the ones that are gentle, the ones that don't always have to, to have everything go exactly the way that they want? They, they can trust in God, and they're blessed because of that. Blessed are those uh, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I, I love this promise. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, if, if you are taking your faith seriously, if you're really trying to walk with God, I think that you can relate to this, right? This idea of a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the reason I say that is uh, because I'm so hungry to, to be a righteous man, but I know how I fall so short of it oftentimes too. And that's why that hunger and thirst is still there. Jesus has made me righteous in my standing before God, but man, I'm still a guy that stumbles. I'm still a guy that sins. And so I still have this hunger within me of like, God, I want to be a man that always does the right thing. I want to be a man that's righteous, but I keep failing. But God says, hey, there, there's going to come a day where these people like that are going to be filled. They're going to be filled. 
Uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul writes about this. You can see how he's just exasperated over the fact that uh, he does these things that he doesn't want to do. And, you know, he basically ends the chapter in Romans 7 saying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I'm trapped in this thing. I I keep on doing this kind of stuff that I don't want to do. Thanks be to Christ Jesus. Thanks be to Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, there is now, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Saying, this is where my hope is. You know how, yeah, right now I'm, I'm in this place where I'm hungry, I'm thirsty for righteousness, I, ha- I can't really attain it on my own, but Jesus can. And then he, he goes on even look forward to the day that all creation is going to be restored. What an amazing promise. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, this is one of those ones where it's not that uh, confusing for us. I guess we would generally, we kind of like mercy sometimes. Uh, sometimes we like justice. Uh, but uh, <laughs> blessed are the merciful, for, for they will be shown mercy. You know that God cares a lot about uh, you showing mercy to others? Did you, ever, did you ever realize how serious the scriptures are about us needing to forgive other people? You can look at time and time, and we're going to get to this even some in the Sermon on the Mount, that as a Christian, you, don't have, you, you have ceded your right to hold grudges against people. You, you can't do it anymore, right? Like You've been forgiven of a debt that is greater than you could ever imagine. And, and with that, man, like we're set free from our own debt, but man, we have to be people that extend that as well. And some of you guys in here are probably holding on to uh, some debts. You're holding on to some grudges that you need to just, you need to be able to extend mercy to these people. And that, that, that's especially tough when they're a person that uh, is not repentant. Um, to, to be able to let go of the hurt that they've done to you. And I know some of you guys have been hurt uh, in really, really deep and incredibly meaningful ways. And I don't mean to belittle that in any way. And I don't believe that God does either. You see, I think that God knows that mercy is the most healing thing that you can have, even if you have been wronged, maybe you were sexually abused as a child, whatever, something like that, um, that, that in showing mercy, that, that's going to set you free. It's going to heal you in a way uh, that holding on to a grudge cannot. God never commands us to do anything that's, that's not good for us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Man, pure in heart. This, I remember this was a prayer that I feel like I prayed uh, almost every day of my freshman year uh, when I just started to realize how bad my motivations are a lot of the time. Like, even in doing good things, right? Like, I can get up here and preach this sermon, but you guys don't know what my motives are for it. Like, I might be up here to just, because I like talking in front of people, or I want you to think I'm cool or something. Or I can be up here because I really care about you and your relationship with God, and I, I want to build you up. I want to teach you God's word. I want it to, to take root in your heart and change your life. And, and, you know, I hate to say it, but when I search my heart, too often I find that there's mixed motives. I feel like everything I just said there could probably be applied uh, to, to me in some way in what I'm doing here. And I think if you look at your own life, you'd probably see that as well. And so I remember just praying and praying, God, like, give me a pure heart. I, I literally, I don't have any idea how to make that. I don't, I can do the right things, but I don't know, I can't make myself do the right things for the right reasons. I need you to change that. And Christ is our only hope in having this pure heart. And so, man, this is another one of those things where it just drives us back to that spiritual poverty Jesus talked about. 
man, humble yourself before God and just ask him to give you a pure heart and know that, that, that he is working on that, right? Um, he's, he's sanctifying you slowly day by day. Blessed are, the, um, <clears throat> blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. If you are a peacemaker, you're called a son of God. That's awesome. You know why? Because you're carrying on the family business. You are a son of God. You are, you are one that is doing what God did. You realize that God extended the offer of peace to us first, which is what is so amazing again, right? I, I talked about this some last week, but I'll keep saying it probably every week. Uh, the, the amazing thing about the gospel is that God came down to us and made peace with us first. He, he didn't wait for us to come to him. He didn't wait for us to, uh, to try and make ourselves right and, and then be able to strike him a deal where he said, hey, God, will you take me back because I did this? He says, because I love you, I'm going to go take care of this issue. I'm going to be the one that extends the olive branch first. And man, so let us be people that, that walk in the way of our Father, that are peacemakers as well. All right, then finally, uh, blessed are the persecuted. Okay, and Jesus has a lot to say about this one, but it all relates to people that are persecuted. And it talks about them being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Um, we really need to take this to heart because I think that oftentimes our Christianity is, is the form where it's like, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it's safe. Uh, I'll follow you as long as I kind of get this or that or as long as you don't take this from me. And, and Jesus comes here, he says, hey, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness, which basically means he's saying, hey, if you live a righteous life, I'm not guaranteeing I'm going to protect you from persecution or from hardship. Wow. But, but look at what, what it says here as well. Um, he ends it again with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which I, th I think that, that was done for a reason, the first one and the last one, both things, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, just even kind of getting this idea of, man, all of this is a mark of a person that's, that's living a kingdom lifestyle. But, uh, yeah, man, blessed are, are the persecuted. Now, I, I don't think that the goal is for us to, like, go out and try and seek some way to be persecuted, okay? Uh, but but I, I do think that we need to be people that follow Jesus wherever he goes, and with that, there's probably going to be persecution that comes on some level. Uh, some of us may face it way more than others. Some of us, it might just be a rejection here or there, the slandering type of stuff. We talked about people insulting you. Uh, maybe that will happen. Maybe you'll, maybe it'll be, be behind your back. You won't know it. Um, for others, it's it, it might mean actually physical death. Uh, there's a, a guy named Jim Elliott. Have you ever heard of him before? Uh, some of you may have. He was a, a missionary back in the 50s, a relatively young guy too, and uh, he wanted to take this trip to go reach a, an unreached people group down in the jungles, I think it was in Central America. And uh, these people had killed everybody who ever came to them. Like if they ever made contact with an outsider, they would always kill them. And th that wasn't like news to Jim Elliott and the, the guys going with him. Like they knew that that was how these people lived. Um, but they cared so deeply about sharing Jesus with them. They're like, we're gonna take our chances, we're gonna go anyway. And people were like, Jim, you're an idiot. Like how, you know, you can't do this. You can't go take the gospel to people like this. They're going to kill you. And uh, he had one of my favorite quotes. He said, uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Basically saying, I, I can't keep my life, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to lose it at, at some point anyway, right? But to gain what I cannot lose. Jim's mind was set on heaven. Jim's, Jim was a man that lived in the upside-down kingdom, he realized, you know what, these people can take everything from me. They could take my dignity, they could take my life, they could take my money, you know, whatever else. But ultimately, they cannot take my soul. 
And the, the reward in heaven, the reward of what if these people do come to know Christ? What if they do get to hear the gospel? What if they do get saved? Man, that's something that, that I cannot lose. He is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, if you have that kind of mindset, then you'll be able to be a person that can endure persecution for the sake of righteousness. And man, we need to take this to heart with our evangelism, right? Uh, and to know that, man, we're actually blessed when people say bad things about us. So it's, once again, not that that's necessarily what we're going for, but hey, if you share the gospel and someone becomes a Christian, awesome. That's what we wanted, right? If you share the gospel and a seed is planted and, and someone starts thinking about it, great. That's, that's good. If you share the gospel and they laugh at you and, and call you an idiot or whatever else, guess what? You're still blessed. As God's word is shared, like, we, we don't lose, Okay? So, so I would just hope that we would start to be people that have this same kind of mindset. Apostles, same deal. They lived with this. You know that all the apostles were martyred for their faith, except for John, uh, who was exiled to, to Patmos. And legend has it they tried to boil him alive, and it didn't work. So they just exiled him to Patmos. But um, I don't know if that's true. That's not a biblical story, but it may be true. Um, anyway, man, you look at this. This is the, the life of a person in the kingdom. It is, and you, you may live a quieter life than that, but for, for all of it, it comes down to the fact that you understand God is worth more than anything that this world has to offer. So as we go on in this, um, we're going to get into a lot of practical stuff. Uh, Jesus hits on a lot of things about how to treat people in our day-to-day interactions, how to deal with different challenges that are going to come your way. But here's the cool thing. If you live as a citizen of the upside-down kingdom, you will always be freed to make the right decision. You always be free to, right? Because no matter what losses you have, if you're at work and, and if you are in a situation where you have to tell the truth and uh, if you tell the truth, you, it might hurt your company or you lose your job or whatever else, guess what? You can still do it. Because what does it, what does it matter if you lose your job? You have, a, you have a God that takes care of you and you're, you care more about his kingdom than this one. Man, you can look at scenario after scenario after scenario where if you live as a person with a mindset in the upside down kingdom, you're, you're going to be free to always do the right thing. And man, that, that, some people say like, man, well, if you always send, spend your time thinking about heaven, you're not going to make an impact on this world. I disagree fully. As a matter of fact, I feel like you'll impact this world more. You know why? Because you're, you don't have fear. The Christians shouldn't, we have nothing that we have to be afraid of. You know, others that fight for justice, they, they still feel as though they have something to lose on some level. For us, what can be taken from us? our greatest value. No one can steal it. And Jesus talks about this later in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, don't fear those that can kill the body. Uh, Fear the the one that can kill the body and the soul. So let us be people that live for the Lord. I want to end with a uh, passage from Romans. Uh, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, when Jesus, uh, when we see the Sermon on the Mount here, you'll notice the Beatitudes, none of them were actually like calls to action per se. Like it wasn't like, go be merciful, or go do this, or go do that. They were all just statements of truth. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay? 
Uh, now, naturally, if, the, if those people are blessed, we see that we want to have lives that are marked that way. But I love how Jesus starts this sermon before, and he's going to get into a lot of do this, don't do that stuff. But I, I think that he needed to set the table with just saying, this is the mindset you have to have. If you, you, you have to basically reverse the kingdom that you're living in. You have to reverse what you see as true about this world. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to put into practice the kind of things that I have to say. How could you possibly turn the other cheek when someone strikes you living in the right side up kingdom? You can't. You have to fight for your right. But in the upside down kingdom, you, you have a God that, that's, that's already fought for you. It frees you to be able to do these kind of things. So Jesus starts this sermon with statement of truth, statement of truth, statement of truth, designed to transform our minds. And as our minds are transformed, it frees us to be people that live lives that reflect God's kingdom. God's kingdom has already come, but it's not fully here. Jesus ushered it in on the cross. He ushered it in even as he was doing these kind of things. He was giving a foretaste of what's to come, healing the sick, uh, driving out demons, all these kind of things. But it's not fully here yet. But I'll tell you what, if we want this kingdom, if we look forward to this idea of heaven, why don't we start living like people that actually want that? Why don't we start living like people that actually want to live under God's rule, that actually want to glorify his name, that actually want to practice righteousness, that actually want to be freed of the demands that this world puts on us, and, and, and to just live in the, the freedom of knowing that we have a God that's taking care of us, that loves us, and that our whole devotion belongs to him. Uh, please pray with me. God, we love you, and uh, we just thank you so much for who you are. Uh, we thank you uh, that you have brought in a new kingdom. And God, we just ask that you would help us to be people that uh, live lives that reflect that. Lord, help us to die to ourselves. Help us to be uh, people that just have a transformed mind that reflects uh, in transformed behavior. We love you, God, and it's in your son's awesome name we pray. Amen. You know, as we're uh, entering this worship set, and you guys can stand up. Um, but I just want to ask you two questions as my final thoughts here. And uh, just, just think about these things. Think about them throughout your week. Uh, first off, do you consider the same people to be blessed that Jesus did? As you look through all these kind of people that Jesus says are blessed, do you feel like you can agree with those statements? And then second, which kingdom are you living for? You can live in the right side up kingdom, which is what... Uh, everyone around you is going to be doing or you can live in the upside down kingdom you can say the treasure that I'm actually after is the treasure in heaven so think about those two things as we sing these songs and uh, just, just worship God